Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he, sat, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word too, that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, Jesus was born, according to Matthew chapter 2 and many other passages, in Bethlehem of Judea. The first time Bethlehem is ever mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 35. I want you to go with me real quickly to Genesis 35, because it's actually a very interesting and important passage of Scripture. In Genesis 35, verses 16 through 21 is where we see... Bethlehem first mentioned in the scriptures. Genesis 35, starting in verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel. This is Isaac, I'm sorry, Jacob and Rachel. Isaac and Rachel, sorry. And they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. When her, and when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And her soul was depart as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name ben Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And then Jacob, also who was there, set up a pillar over her tomb, and it is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel, which is another name for Jacob, journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. So this is the first time we ever see Bethlehem mentioned in the Scripture. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go into too much detail. I'm going to hit it real fast because many of you have already heard me teach on this. It's on my website. If you're really curious, I've got a whole hour of teaching. But I believe the Bible tells us exactly where Jesus was born, and it wasn't in a stable behind an inn. But the Bible actually teaches us that Jesus was born at the base of this tower of Eder. Uh, go to Micah chapter 4. We see that, that, that right there outside of Bethlehem or in the outskirts of Bethlehem was this Tower of Eder, which means Tower of the Flock in Hebrew. Now, if you go to Micah chapter 4, look at verse 8. And you, O Tower of the Flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Here the prophecy said that kingship is going to come to this tower. Where is this tower of the flock, Migdal Eder? It's there on the outskirts of Bethlehem, there when we first see it mentioned in Genesis 35. You know in chapter, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. For those of you who were here when I taught that a while ago, you remember that the shepherds that were in the field outside of Bethlehem who were watching their flock weren't just ordinary shepherds like we've been taught for years, but they actually were the temple shepherds watching over the Passover lambs. And it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus, who fulfilled the role of the Passover lamb all the way through his whole life, where he was crucified on that same day at the exact same hour, how the scriptures teach us in Revelation that he still considered the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John described him in John chapter 1, verse 29. It should not surprise us that Jesus would be born in the exact same place that the Passover lambs were born. And that's why when the angels came to those shepherds, they said to him, this will be a sign to you. You will see the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. They knew exactly where to go because it was the manger that their lambs were born because they would wrap those lambs in swaddling cloth to keep them from getting marked because they were the Passover lambs. Again, a lot more detail about that. If you want to go to my website, just go to messages. Where was Jesus born? I've taught in great detail on it. It's an interesting study. But I just want you to see that the scripture had all along taught that he would be born in Bethlehem. We see it in Micah 5.2. We see it in Micah 4.8. And Matthew points that out as well, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now, Herod, this is, we're going to start getting into a lot of history tonight, and we're going to deal with a lot of times and dates. So you're going to really need to make, take some notes tonight to stick with me. Herod, we know from history and from, from records, historical records, he died in 4 B.C. All right. Herod died in the spring of 4 B.C. So Jesus was born in the time of Herod, the king. All right. And so while he was king, he was king until when? 4 B.C. So Jesus had to be born before what? 4 B.C. We know that much so far. He had to be born before 4 B.C. All right. We don't know the exact date of Jesus's birth, but I think by the end of the study, we might get a little closer. All right. But we'll get to that in time. Go to Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, because I think it's valuable for us to use all the scriptural accounts, especially in the Gospels, of the stories in each of the Gospels, to get a fuller idea of what the Bible teaches us about this. Over the years, I've made this mistake myself as a pastor, and I've heard a lot of preachers do the same thing. They'll actually just still stay on one account of a story, and they'll preach it like that's the only account. And then there's other accounts that bring other things in that actually go against some of the things we we're saying because we only looked at one account instead of putting them all together. And I, so we're going to put the birth of Jesus together from Matthew and Luke. All right. So in Luke chapter two, verses one through seven, it says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. All right. Now, we see from this passage that there was a census that were taken. And, and this was the census that was the decree went out from who? Caesar Augustus. All right. Now, if you do a little research, you'll find that Caesar Augustus died in A.D. 14 at the age of 76. So Caesar Augustus's reign was a long one, and he died in A.D. 14 at the age of 76. So this was sometime during his reign. He put out a decree that that whole area that he was over should be registered or taxed. All right. 
Now, with the scripture also tells us, though, that verse 2, that this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So we know now from this that there were at least two registrations when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and this is the first one. Now, Caesar's decree went out in 8 BC. Now, that doesn't mean that they obeyed it right away. Probably because of all the things involved, it might have been a year or two or maybe four before the decree was actually put into practice. We know, though, from history that Caesar's decree went out in 8 BC, but it might have been not carried out for two to four years later. Most likely, some historians believe this decree and this census that went out in 8 BC actually was fulfilled sometime between 6 and 4 BC. We don't know exactly because there's actually not a lot of historical evidence about that. Now, there was. If you do a study, you'll find that Quirinius was governor of Syria. We have recorded that he was governor of Syria from 6 to uh, um, 9 uh, AD. All right. We know that he was governor of Syria from 6 to 9 AD. And actually, in Acts chapter 5, we see a reference to a census that was taken at that time. Put a bookmark here in Luke 2 and go to Acts chapter 5 and look at verse 37. In Acts chapter 5, verse 37, Gamaliel is speaking, and he says, After him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. You remember, this is the part where they're talking about these, how, what to deal with these followers of Jesus. And they talked about all these people that tried to be somebody important, and they got followers, but then eventually they all fizzled. And they said, if this Jesus thing is of God, you can't stop it. And if it's of man, it'll, it'll die anyway. But he mentions a, a, a census that was taken. This is the reference of the census that was taken in 6 to 9 AD. But the scripture tells us that this was the first, the one that we're looking at the time Jesus was born, was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So do we know for a fact that the one we have recorded that was happening from 6 to 9 AD is not the one that Jesus was born in? You should know. Exactly. It can't be the one. It can't be the one that we're looking at because this one happened when Herod was still king. Herod died when? 4 B.C. Herod died 4 B.C. This census that I just referenced to you and that we have recorded under Quirinius happened between 6 and 9 A.D. Can't be the same one. Oh, but the scripture gives us a little insight here. The, the census that is being referred to here in Luke chapter 2 was the first one when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And if you want to, you can. You can do some research. And actually, there is some archaeological evidence that backs up with the, backs the scriptures up. Actually, they found some writings that show that there's a strong chance that Quirinius was governor of Syria more than once. And it probably was during that one that this happened. He wasn't governor of Syria only from 6 to 9. He had been governor of Syria prior to that as well at another time. All right. So the census that was taken under Quirinius during 69 AD is not the same one that's mentioned here because that can't be the case because scripture tells us that Herod was still alive when this all happened and Herod died prior to that. Are you with me so far? All right. Now, during Herod's reign, wise men from the east came to worship the newborn king since they saw his star 
Now, not knowing where specifically to go, they went to Jerusalem to see the king over the Jews at that time, which is Herod. But I'm going to suggest to you, or did they? I'm going to say this to you again. These wise men saw his star in the east. They saw when it rose and they went to Jerusalem. And for years, I believe they went straight to Herod and asked him about it. Haven't we kind of all looked at it that way, that he went and asked Herod about this? But I'm going to show you from Scripture. I don't believe the star led them to Herod. I don't believe the star led them specifically to Jerusalem. And I actually can back that up from Scripture. A lot of the stuff we've been taught, a lot of the stuff that we believed actually doesn't line up with the Scriptures. For example, first off, why would the star lead them to Herod? We've just assumed that the men followed the star all the way to Jerusalem, haven't we? But look at the scriptures again. Go back to Matthew chapter 2, and you're going to see that they saw the star when it arose, or in the east. There's no mention of them following it anymore. They just saw it when it rose. And after they have their conversations with Herod, it appears to appear again, and they're excited to see it again. Look at Matthew chapter 2, and again, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now stop for a second. This word saying in our Bibles, in the Greek, is a continual tense. All right? In other words, they went into Jerusalem saying it over and over and over. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They don't go directly to Herod. They just go into Jerusalem and they say over and over and over, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, some translations say in the east, they're both good, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, so did they go straight to Herod? No, for years I thought that they went straight to Herod, but they didn't. They just went into Jerusalem. It's straight there. It says that it's like they went to... They went to Jerusalem. They went to see him, and then they went to Jerusalem and reported what they saw. That's how I did. Well, actually, what it is is they're going to Jerusalem asking. They're in Jerusalem asking, where is he who's been born of the kingdom? They don't know. No, at this point, as you're going to see, they don't know. They know that one has been born king of the Jews, but they don't know where he is. So they're asking, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They're saying it over and over and over. Herod now hears about it. And by the way, if you know anything about Herod, when he starts hearing about some other king, what's, what's his plan? He could put his family members to death, his mother to death. If anybody back in the time of Herod said, you know, so-and-so would be a good king one day, whoever it is you said that about was going to be put to death. You wanted to put somebody to death? You want to have somebody assassinated back then? Just say, you know what, so-and-so would be a really good king. And that person would be put to death. Herod was vicious in that way. Herod finds out about it, and he was troubled, and so was all Jerusalem with him. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. All right, let me back up. We'll go back to verse 3. All right. They said, we've seen his star. We come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We read that in Micah 5, 2. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then he sends them on to Jerusalem. So the first time Herod meets with the wise men is after he's heard, after he's consulted the wise, his, his scribes and teachers of the law. And then he has a meeting with the, with the wise men 
saying, hey, when did you see this star appear? All right. Now, so we look at verse uh, nine. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose or again, other translations say in the east. When they, they, they came to rest, sorry, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It almost reads now that the star appears again. It's, we've assumed that they just followed that star all the way. Isn't that what the song says? By the way, you're going to find a lot of the stuff that we believed has come from songs and not from the scriptures. Tradition. Yeah, you're, you're ahead of me, but that's where we're going. That's exactly where we're going, Sheila. You're, you're right on. All right. So did the star lead them to Herod? Not so sure it did. They saw a star in the east or when it rose. It doesn't appear to have led them all the way to Jerusalem. It reappears and leads them to where Jesus and his parents are in a house at this point. We'll come back to that in a little bit. They also seem, look at verse 10, they seem excited to see it again. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In other words, oh good, there it is again. It wasn't like they followed it the whole way, it disappeared. They actually went to Jerusalem after seeing the star in the east. They traveled to Jerusalem on their own, not following the star. But after their visit with Herod, the star appears again and it leads them directly to the house where Jesus is. So Jerusalem was the likely place of a king. Very much the likely place of a king. So if the star didn't lead them to Jerusalem, what made them head there upon seeing this star in the east? Well, I think the scripture actually tells us, and that's what you were referencing. These men were not kings. Oh, by the way, we've sung, we three kings of Orient are. They weren't kings. They were wise men from the east, most likely Persia. And they may have known the Hebrew scripture prophecies because of Daniel's influence many years earlier. Go with me back to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, look at verses 11 and 12. It said, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding, to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he'll show you the interpretation. So when they have Belteshazzar has this vision on the wall, the handwriting on the wall, and he's scared, they, call, they say, you got to call this guy Daniel. But look at how, what his position was. He had been put in charge over all of the wise men, the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. And I don't doubt for a second that Daniel, being in charge of these men, taught them the scriptures. Go to Numbers chapter 24. Back in the time when Balak was trying to hire Balaam to curse Israel, in Numbers 24, verses 15 through 19, as you know, whenever... Balaam got up to curse Israel, the Spirit of God would take over and he wouldn't curse them, but he'd bless them. In Numbers 24, verse 15, and he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, 
the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, that's Israel, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed, Seir also, its enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. We don't know exactly what kind of phenomenon these guys saw, but something arose in the east that the astrologers put together with the Hebrew scriptures and the prophecies that Daniel had passed down, and they put two and two together and said, this could be that star that was prophesied. And we need to go to Israel. If you're going to go to Israel, you're probably going to head to Jerusalem, the capital area, and say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They don't know who he is. They don't know much about him. They just know that the prophecy said he would be. They've seen this phenomenon. It rose. It didn't lead them all the way there. It just rose. They saw it appear. They packed up. They made their journey. They go to Jerusalem, they're running around saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Continually asking everybody. Word starts to spread, word gets to Herod. He's not too excited about it. He calls in the scribes, says, talk to me. They said, well, the prophecy says he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So then he calls the wise men in and secretly says, hey, when did the star appear? They told him. He said, tell you what, go to Bethlehem and you find him for me. I want to worship him too. And you come back and tell me once you found him. And they go, and then all of a sudden, when they leave Herod, what happens? The star that they had seen in the east appears again. They're excited to see it again, and it leads them right to the house where Jesus is. All right? To see how the scriptures clarify things when we take the time to let the scriptures speak instead of our hymns? All right? All right. Now, we don't know how many wise men there were. For years, we've been taught that there were three. Because that's just assumed from the numbers of gifts. We've assumed a lot of things from numbers that the scripture doesn't say. They were just wise men. We don't know. How many do we know there were? At least two. At least two to be plural. But that's, it could have been two. It could have been uh, 20. We don't know. But we assume because of three gifts that it was three. But the scripture doesn't say that. We don't know how many wise men there were, nor do we know the exact, listen closely, nor do we know the exact meaning or the purpose of the gifts, but we might be able to surmise as to what the gifts were for. Gold, of course, is a gift for a king. And we, knew, we know that they were coming to worship a king. The scripture tells us, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They knew he was a king. They were coming to worship a king. But frankincense also was a perfume or a fragrance used as an incense, which could refer to Jesus' high priestly ministry. Because frankincense was used a lot in the priestly roles of incenses and all that. And myrrh was a burial spice. And we, on this side of the cross, can look at it and go, well, the gold was for his kingship, the, the frankincense was for his priestly ministry, and the myrrh was because of his death. But let me ask you an honest question. Did the wise men know that they were bringing a gift for a king and another gift for his high priestly ministry and another gift for his death? Most likely not. Because if they did, they had understanding that even the prophets of God didn't understand. 
Let me show you what I mean. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, look at verses 10 and 11 and 12. First Peter 1 verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Don't think for a second that because we have understanding now that the Spirit of God's given us this side of the cross with the prophecies now being explained to us because of Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection. Don't assume that the wise men we're bringing stuff because of he was a king and because he was going to be a priest and because he was going to die. They probably didn't know because the prophets didn't even understand that stuff. Again, don't assume that things we understand now, they understood then. They just brought these gifts. What is the meaning of the gifts? To be honest, we don't know. Could it be the three things I brought out to you? Sure makes a lot of sense. But don't assume that's exactly what was going on. We have to be willing to say we don't know. All right? Now. Isn't that why we say that the New Testament, the gospel of Christ, is hidden in the old? Yes. Parts of it are. Exactly. Jesus talks in Matthew, which we're going to get to, he talks about a wise steward brings out the old as well as the new and together. And we're going to get to that when we get to that part of Matthew, I think sometime in 2021. But, uh, um, but at the same time, yes, there's an insight and information we have now. And we may be correct about the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. But the wise men didn't know. The wise men didn't know. They just brought the gifts. But at the same time, they studied the astronomy of the, the stars, which is the Maseroth, which the origination of the meaning of those 12 um, what you're saying, I understand. And what Sheila's talking about is she's actually quoting from Job and where the Bible actually talks about the whole story of Christ and everything's all been written in the stars and what we call the Maseroth and all that. That's another study for another whole time. They definitely had some understanding. I don't know if they understood about the birth, the death, the resurrection, the priestly. You understand what I'm saying? They just knew he was a king and they brought him some really expensive gifts. Everything they brought wasn't cheap. All right. Now, then God, who knows Herod's real intentions, directs the wise men through a dream not to go back to Herod, and they return home by a different route from the one they took there. All right? So this much we know. A star appeared in the east at a certain time. The wise men, most likely with the understanding of what had been passed down from Daniel, put together two and two, and they go to Jerusalem to see this king that has been born. They get to Jerusalem, not having followed the star. They just saw it when it rose. They get to Jerusalem. They're asking everybody, where's the king? Herod hears about it, checks with the scribes. He's told Bethlehem. He then consults the wise men, calls them in, says, tell me when it happened. When, you see the, when did you see the star arise, actually? And they told him. He said, hey, go tell him. Go find him in Bethlehem, and I want to worship him, too. Come back and tell me. They go. The star leads them exactly to where Jesus is. And then God warns them in a dream not to go tell Herod where he is and they go back home a different way. All right, that's much we know. Go back to Matthew now to chapter 2 and look at verses 13 through 23. Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23. 
It says, Now when they had departed, these are the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel." But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, before we break these verses down, and we're probably not going to get to do that tonight. I want to use Luke's account of the birth of Jesus to try to pinpoint the rough timing of the wise men's arrival and the flight to Egypt. I want to deal tonight using the scriptures and try to figure out if we can see from the scriptures, when did the wise men actually show up? How soon was it after his birth that they came? And when did this flight to Egypt actually happen? And try to put that together best we can from the scriptures. Now, I'm just going to tell you, where we're going to go might go against everything you've ever heard about the wise men's Arrival and the flight to Egypt. So let's now, keeping in mind the story we just read here, go with me to Luke chapter 2 and look at verses 21 through 24 and then verses 39 and 40. Luke 2, 21 through 24 and then 39 and 40. We've just heard about his birth. The shepherds have shown up. By the way, if you don't remember, the shepherds show up. They go that night. They see Jesus in the manger, they worship, and they run back telling everybody what they've heard. That's important. Keep that in mind. The shepherds go back and start telling everybody about the things that they've seen. All right? Mary, of course, wonders about it. Look at verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Jump over to verses 39 and 40. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong Filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. So we see now that on the eighth day after his birth, he was cir circumcised according to the law of the Lord. And as you're about to see, Mary had to wait for 33 more days after that before she's allowed into the temple, the days of her purification. 
And then after 33 more days, they go to Jerusalem and they offer Jesus, because the law said to, because he was a firstborn and he's male and all this, they offer him in the temple. And then the scripture says they go from there to where? They go straight from Jerusalem into Galilee. After they had fulfilled everything according to the law of Moses, they went to Galilee. Keep that in mind. All right. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day after his birth because the law of God had said that he had to be. Go to Genesis chapter 17. Look at verses 9 through 14. In Genesis 17, this is when God initiates circumcision with Abraham. He says in verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. And any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God, when he starts the circumcision covenant with Abraham, tells him even back then, on the eighth day, that's to be done. Now, go to um, Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12, look at verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As, the, as, as at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. And we'll come back to that in just a second. So verses 1, 2, and 3, we see that on the eighth day, she was to have the baby, if it's a male, circumcised. All right. Now, did Jesus fulfill all the law? Every detail. So he was circumcised on the eighth day, not just because God told Abraham back in Genesis, but also the law of Moses in Genesis, Leviticus 12 said that he had to be circumcised, and he was on the eighth day, and that's when he was given his name, Jesus. Now, at the same time, Mary then had to wait 33 more days until she was clean enough, if you will, to enter the temple and offer the sacrifice prescribed for the firstborn male. Look again, uh, she's to be, uh, if she bears a male, chapter 12 of Leviticus, She's going to be unclean for seven days. And then on the eighth day, he's going to be circumcised. Verse four, then she shall continue for 33 more days after this in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. In other words, it's double if she has a female. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. 
And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. All right. So the law of Moses, the law of the Lord said that on the eighth day he was to be circumcised and then she was to be unclean for 33 more days. Then she could bring him to the temple and dedicate him because he was the firstborn. So not only Jesus was he a male, he was to be offered to God and consecrated to God since he was the firstborn male. Go to Exodus chapter 13. Now stick with me here because we're laying a foundation for something that might blow your minds. Exodus chapter 13, look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever it is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast is mine. So God says, whatever's the firstborn, whether it's a man or an animal, that belongs to God, the firstborn. All right. Look at verses 11 through 16. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in the time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that, the, that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a, as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. In other words, what the law was is that whatever was firstborn of any animal, firstborn of any, any human being, was to be dedicated to the Lord. If it was an animal, you could put it to death as an offering, a sacrifice to God. Why? It was a reminder of the fact that when God sent the death angel, he killed all the firstborn of Egypt and their animals and the humans. It was a reminder of worship of God. And it was also a way of saying, Lord, you're our provision. We trust you. Now, he didn't ask them to put to death their firstborn children, but he asked them to offer a sacrifice to redeem them. All right. So Jesus is not only a male. He's the firstborn male. And so he had to be presented to the Lord as well. And an offering was to be given to, for him. That offering was to be a lamb. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, there was to be a couple of turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for the sin offering, one for the burnt offering. All right. Luke 2, 39 tells us. Well, actually, go back to Luke 2, 22 through 24. Luke 2, 22 through 24. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, when is that? How many days after the eighth day? 33 more days later. OK, so the 40, 41st day. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. We just saw that. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here it appears that Mary and Joseph don't have enough money for a lamb. They offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, we're not going to skip over the verses right after this that talk about Simeon in the temple and Anna in the temple meeting Jesus when he's presented. But you go to verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So Mary and Joseph fulfilled everything of the law. On the eighth day he was circumcised. On the 
33 days later, when it was time, the 40th day or 41st day, they bring him to the temple to offer the sacrifices. And when they had fulfilled that and finished the law, what did they do? Where did they go from there? They went to Galilee. They went from Jerusalem to Galilee. We got a problem. Um, Matthew tells us that there's this whole episode where the angel, I'm sorry, the wise men come and an angel of the Lord tells them to go to Egypt for a while and then they come out of Egypt. And if you go back to Matthew, Matthew has them going back to Jerusalem. They go to Israel. They get in Israel. And when they're in Israel, he finds out that Archelaus is now reigning instead of his father Herod. And he's a little bit afraid. And they go on from there to Jerusalem. So both Matthew and Luke have them going from Jerusalem to Nazareth. Well, when did the wise men show up? And when did they go to Egypt? When did this all happen? So when did the wise men arrive? Many try to have them coming almost two years after Jesus' birth because of the age of the babies Herod had killed. By the way, if you knew much about Herod, it wouldn't be too much for him to go overboard. We can't assume that we know exactly how old Jesus was because from two years on down, if, if he knew exactly when Jesus was born, why did he have all the babies killed from two years old on down? Why didn't he just have all the two-year-old babies? You understand what I'm saying? Herod most likely covered his bases and killed a lot of extra babies above and below. So you can't set the time from that because we don't know. And also, he asked them, what time did the star arrive? Is there a possibility the star rose before Jesus was born? Very strong possibility because they have to pack up, plan their trip, and head to Jerusalem, and it's a long journey as well. There's a chance that the star rose, not when he was born, but even prior to that, to get the wise men up and going for the time that God had for them. We don't know. We don't know. But even so, it would make sense for that because there's a lot of prophecies that say, just like the four blood moons, mm -hmm. there will be signs and stars. Prior to. Prior. Yes, it could definitely be that. Plus, Mary and Joseph appear to leave for Nazareth, like I said, from Jerusalem, while the wise men visit Jesus in Bethlehem. So if we have the wise men coming two years later, Mary and Joseph go from Jerusalem to Nazareth, but the wise men visit him in Bethlehem. We've got a problem. They also try to say that the word translated child in Matthew 2.11 means that he was no longer a baby. Go back to Matthew 2.11. It says in verse, verse 11, uh, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And that Greek word, translated child, is the Greek word paideon. And it can be translated little child, but it also can be translated infant. It's used both ways, and I'm about to show you a lot. So go with me, write these down. I won't make you follow me, because I've got to keep moving. But if you'll notice, look at verse 11. It says child. Look at verse 8. It says child. It is, it is, it is Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. That's Bepaideon. Look at verse 9. Um, the star they had seen and when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. That's that word again, Paideon. Look at verse 13. Uh, it says, uh, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise and take the child. That's Paideon again. And his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. Herod's about to search for the 
child, that's Paedion again, to destroy him. In verse 14, he rose and took the child and his mother by night. Verse 19, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for the, those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child. So that's that same word over and over and over, Paedion. It could mean little, uh, a little uh, child, or it could also mean infant. I'm going to show you a couple of other places, and I joke when I say a couple, where it's used, and it clearly means infant. We don't know how old Jesus is at this time, but I'm going to show you. Don't let anybody tell you that the Greek word translated child means he had to be older. Because I'm going to show you that same Greek word is used very clearly in the scriptures referring to an infant. Go to John chapter 16. Look at verse 21. John 16, verse 21. Jesus says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, that, by the way, in the Greek is the word paedion, she no longer remain, remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Is that referring to a, an infant or a little child? Infant, very clearly. That's that same Greek word translated baby. It does say child in the NIV. And here, okay, go to Luke 1. Luke 1, look at verses 57 through 60. Luke 1, 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. This is John the Baptist, by the way. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown, her great, mercy, shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the Paedion. Is it an infant or a little child? It's an infant. Obviously an infant. It's only eight days old. All right. Look at verse 66. And all who heard them laid, upon, laid them upon their hearts, saying, What then will be with this child? That's when Zechariah finally speaks. What will be this child? It's obvious John the Baptist is an infant at the time. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. That's that same word. Look at verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the days of public appearance. It's obviously speaking about John the Baptist when he was an infant, very clearly. Luke chapter 2, look at verses 15 through 17. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Paedion. Is that referring to an infant or a toddler? It's obviously an infant. By the way, one more. You can write it down. Look at it later. Hebrews eleven twenty three uses the exact same word referring to infants. So for years we've been told it has to be two years later that the wise men came because at this time he was in a house and the word paedion means little child. P-A-I-D-I-O-N. P-A-I-D-I-O-N. Paedion. Folks, it's very clearly that that word is used many times to refer to an infant. And I'm going to suggest to you that when the wise men showed up, he wasn't two years old. He was still possibly only eight days old. Stick with me here. Yes, Jesus was in a house when they arrived, but that's believable even on a day after his birth, let alone eight. 
I mean, good grief, he was born in the base of a tower. We know that from Scripture. That he was born at Migdal Eder, at the Tower of Eder, and that's where the shepherds gave birth to their lambs. It wouldn't be a big deal for them within a few days to find a place that they could, they could be. He could have been in a house a day later, let alone eight days. He didn't have to be a long period of time. Plus, like we've just looked at, why in the world, when the Scripture says, as soon as they had fulfilled what the law said, which was 40 days, they went from Jerusalem to Nazareth, why would they go back to Bethlehem and wait for two years when the wise men show up in Bethlehem. Let me suggest to you a hypothesis. I'm going to suggest to you a hypothesis. The wise, men visit, wise men's visit could have happened between the eighth day after Jesus' birth and the 40th day when Jesus was presented at the temple. Their visit, their flight to Egypt, and the travel back to Jerusalem could have all happened in those 33 days that Mary and Joseph were having to wait until they could go to the temple. Travel from Bethlehem to Egypt was roughly 100 miles or a six-day journey. They could have gone down to Egypt and returned during the 33 days that Mary had to wait until her purification was over. There was time. The travel also was urgent, both leaving Bethlehem and returning to Israel. Look at Matthew chapter 2. Look at verses 13 and 14. Now when they had departed, this is the wise men, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and he said, Rise, get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. So did Joseph stick around and say, hey, let's put our trip tick together? Or did he get up that night and head to Egypt? It's obvious the scripture says he got up that night and they headed for Egypt right away. Look at Matthew chapter 2 verses 19 through 21. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. So again, here we see that they quickly got up and headed back to Israel. Most likely because they still had to fulfill the requirements. You understand what I'm saying? So that's a possibility. The gifts of gold and the frankincense and the myrrh would have paid for the cost of the travel. God could have provided in that just provision for them to be able to pay for the travel down to Egypt and back. This also clears up those who say that the Magi must not have visited yet because Mary and Joseph offered the poor person's offering when they presented Jesus at the temple. People saying, well, obviously the wise men couldn't have come because if they had shown up and hadn't given them gold and frankincense and myrrh, they would have had enough money to buy a lamb and therefore the wise men haven't come yet. Well, that doesn't prove anything. And to be honest with you, we don't even know how much gold he got. But Jim, are you saying that Well, they didn't fly, but they, they walked fast. Yes. I believe it's possible. It works out in all the ways, mathematically, scripturally. Let me keep going. The timing of Herod's death and Archelaus' reigning in his place works with this hypothesis. Because as I did the research, studying and reading Jerome, the historian of Rome, it says Archelaus began ruling seven days after his father's death. There's a possibility that right after Herod puts this decree out to all the children to be killed two years old and down, that he dies. And then Archelaus reigns only seven days later afterwards. There's a whole lot of interesting stuff there in history. It works out. If it takes them six days, they head on the eighth or ninth day down to Egypt. and They're down there for a week or so, and then it takes them six days to get back. There's plenty of time, and by this time, Herod's died, and seven days later, Archelaus is reigning 
in Jerusalem. And as we know from the scriptures, he hears about it when he get, Joseph hears about it when he gets back to Jerusalem, doesn't he? He hears that Archelaus is now reigning instead of his father. And that's when he says, I'm not sure I want to stay here. And they go from there to Nazareth. The timing of all this works out. Joseph in the land is in the land of Israel when he learns of Archelaus ruling, I just said. And here's what I want to close with. I'm not saying this is how it all went down. But I have taught in years past to get your wise men out of your manger scenes. You can bring them back. <laughs> they, they probably weren't there that night. And I still don't want cows and all this other stuff there because obviously it was a place that didn't have all of that. But at the same time, there's a strong possibility from the scriptures that the wise men's visit happened between the eighth day and the 40th day. And the flight to Egypt all happened during that time period. And doesn't that make a whole lot more sense with the fact that Luke kind of records? He doesn't even mention the whole flight to Egypt. It might have happened so fast it wasn't even worth adding into his story. But it's obvious that when they finished what God had required for them in Jerusalem, they went from there to Galilee. The scripture does not say that they went and hung out in Bethlehem for two more years. Between the 8th and the 40th days. Now, I want to give you one more scripture before I send you home. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, verses 10 and 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Don't build your theology what from other people have told you or from hymns that we have sung for a long time. Examine the scriptures. But as I began digging into this, I started to realize a lot of the stuff we've been told doesn't match up with the scriptures. Matthew and Luke both have him going from Jerusalem to Nazareth. But if they're still in Bethlehem when the wise men show up, they'd be going from Bethlehem to Nazareth. And the scripture says that wasn't the case. There's a chance the wise men actually showed up right after his birth in that time period. This proves nothing. But interestingly enough, if I, as I did research, remember the old song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? There is a tradition that the wise men actually showed up on the twelfth day. And that's where that song came from. Again, don't build your theology from songs. To <laughs> Here's, here's the deal. Have fun studying the scriptures. Things we've been taught for all our lives, we've just believed. Hey, yeah, uh, the word is translated child, and he was a child at that time, and he was in a house, so, and it was from two years old down, so it was two. Does the scripture say that it was two years? No. Actually, it could very well be that all that happened right after he was born. And it sure makes a whole lot more sense. I hope that was fun. I enjoyed it. I'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks for coming. Mm -hmm.